you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I am your host, Janine Garner, and today I'm so excited to be chatting to Michael Dietrich Chastain. Uh, He is an author, speaker, professional coach, and consultant, and he is the founder and CEO of ARC Integrated, which is an organizational consulting and professional coaching practice based in Asheville in the U.S., Why I'm so excited about chatting to Michael is I always love uh, receiving introductions from people within my world that literally say to me, Janine, you've really got to have a chat to Michael. And when I did do a little bit of uh, internet stalking on the work that Michael does and uh, what he writes about and the changes that he's making in organizations, it was an absolute no-brainer to get him on this podcast where we are talking about unleashing brilliance and what it is that we have to do as individuals, as people, as leaders, as organizations to become better. Uh, Michael's helped organizational leaders and teams improve employee engagement, productivity, culture, retention, sales, and ultimately help lift that organization's bottom line, which is exactly what many of us are currently operating in. He also works with clients to help reduce that stress and improve the work-life balance that's needed to enhance leadership skills. And his latest book, uh, Changes, The Busy Professional's Guide to Reducing Stress, Accomplishing Goals and Mastering Adaptivity, to Adaptability Sorry, talks to all of that stuff. Outside of that, he enjoys hiking and traveling, and he has uh, been teaching at a martial arts school for more than 15 years. So you can imagine the discipline that Michael brings to his work. We've also had an awesome chat before pressing this record button, so I'm going to make sure I'm going to bring out some of that uh, wonderful magic that he shared with us offline. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Thank you for the kind introduction. Oh, it couldn't be anything more. It's wonderful to have you here. And let's jump straight into it because you've got you've got so much stuff, so much uh, insight and so much to, to share with our audience today. But before we get on to that, tell me a little bit more about you. Um, obviously, you're, you're not from my neck of the woods. We're not from, you're not from Sydney. You're you're from the U.S., from Asheville. Tell me, tell me about where it all started for you. Sure, absolutely. So I'm actually not from Asheville either, truth be told. I grew up uh, kind of near Chicago, uh, in between Milwaukee and Chicago for the folks that are in the States. And I grew up on a horse farm, actually, and spent uh, you know, all, of my, all of my childhood there. And then, of course, went on to college. And my, my story as far as you know, my professional evolution was that when I was in college, I had a, a really strong interest in pursuing a master's or PhD in industrial organizational psychology and, you know, did all the coursework and did the internships and graduated and immediately got a job in the corporate world as a consultant and coach and uh, did some sales and account management. And through that experience, uh, kind of pushed me uh, into further interest around human development. And so I went back and got a master's degree in counseling 
and then became a licensed psychotherapist and lived in that world for a number of years, doing um, doing therapy in a wide variety of contexts from crisis work to work in the hospital, work in the jail system. I managed teams of therapists and did some private practice work. And through that, still had a lot of passion and interest in business and in teams and leadership. And so made a pivot back um, about six years ago, I guess, and uh, did a lot of training and um, account management again for a company in the corporate world, did that for a couple of years. And then through that was motivated to start my own business and have been working for myself for the last, I guess this, this coming year will be about five years. And so, yeah, that's, that's the very short version. <laughs> And fascinating, equally, even in that short version of I'm imagining the different situations, scenarios, uh, experiences that you had working through the jail system or doing that crisis work to then working in organizations. And is there anything that you've seen that is consistently happening across the board there? Yeah, you mean across the board, like regardless of client type? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah it's funny. I've, I've been asking myself and continue to ask myself that question of, you know, what are the what are the commonalities in how human beings make change in their life, essentially? Because I think that's ultimately the question we're asking, right? Whether we go to a therapist or a coach or we hire an organizational consultant or a trainer, you know, whether we're a team that wants wants something different or a leader or someone going through a traumatic life event, essentially we're asking, how do we change as humans? And I absolutely do see and have seen common uh, markers of what it takes to create sustainable change. And essentially that's the, that's the uh, essence of what my book is about. And um, looking at these, these seven themes that I've seen consistently come up over the course of my career of working with you know, thousands of different kinds of clients, whether that be through the frame of a coach, the frame of a therapist, or the frame of an organizational consultant. That's exciting. So before we get on to that, because I'm curious about these seven themes, um, what's, has there, is there any particular moment, um, that watershed moment in your life that's helped you or got you to where you're at today? That's, that's literally when you look back going, that was that big change that has resulted in me ending up here mm -hmm. yeah I've, as we were talking before we we hit uh record i you know I've, I've listened to a few of your podcast ep episodes which i really enjoyed and i've heard this question come up so i gave it i gave it some good thought and i actually have two can i share two moments yeah of course you can <laughs> all right so one was and i think this is this is i'm sure a, a lesson that many listeners have had but i had a really hard time with a boss that I had. And this was my first job out of college. And we just, we couldn't be more different, you know, value wise or, you know, how we approached the world. And it was, it was really, really hard in the midst of it. Right. But, but essentially what it pushed me to was to really evaluate what I, what I wanted to do next, which was where the real heart of the lesson was. And it, you know, it, it pushed me to take a, a different direction, which I'm so grateful for. And I think that you know, essentially it sent me from pursuing a, a direct line to industrial organizational work to first going into the counseling and therapy world. And, and I, I see that as, as rich and as advantageous because it, you know, it really shed light on, you know, kind of the, the deeper reasons in how we, you know, how we as human beings create change and looking at, you know, human development in a deeper dive. And I'm so grateful for that 
those years of experience and that education, because I think it really serves me well in the context of the work I do today. But I don't know if that would have happened if it wasn't for this conflict and challenge that I have with this boss. So I think that was a, a watershed moment, most, most definitely. And then the other one that comes to mind is I went through a, a really in, uh, intense breakup with the woman I was involved with, which again, that, you know, sent me in a direction of really of reevaluating, you know, what I wanted professionally, what I wanted personally, and, and sent me, uh, you know, to, to re to re kind of look at, uh, where I wanted to go in the next, you know, 10 years. And so I'm, again, another, another moment that was painful at the time, but so grateful for it. And I imagine there's a, there's a few people listening right now, nodding their heads who themselves may be experiencing uh, conflict and challenge, um, either personally or professionally, particularly when you look at what's happening with many organizations, um, having to retrench people and restructure, etc. And equally, I'm imagining there's people that, that are starting to question the what's next and reevaluation piece and probably not feeling really great about either of those situations. From looking back now, what what advice would you share for anyone that's equally going through that at the moment of um, and almost feeling like they're in the dip and can't get out of it? Yeah, for, first I would say just just to acknowledge that you know I think there's so much advice out there around like how do you get through a painful point and how do you you know how do you what's the what's the tip or trick or strategy and I think that strategies and tips and tricks for people when they're in that moment are really hard to grasp and to digest. And so, so I guess I would first just acknowledge that sometimes things just take time, you know, to it, it, the forest through the, through the trees expression, right? Like when you're in it, it's really hard to get a sense of big picture. So I think just acceptance and patience is, you know, what can, can be a friend during times of pain. And then the other thing I would say is, is looking for resources before we think we might need them. So whether that's, that's a coach or a mentor or an expert or a therapist or, you know, some kind of other person that can help take us out of our, um, of our intense focus around the situation, I think that can be really valuable. Yeah, cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Michael, what, what have you learned about yourself along the way uh, from your experiences in the work that you, you, you do? Mm. Gosh, I think as joking with a, with a friend not too long ago, another uh, business owner, and I don't know about you, Janine, but I think owning a business is the ultimate exercise in looking at the good, the bad, and the ugly that we have as, as humans. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I reckon it's one of the hardest, hardest routes to take, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I think, go ahead, sorry. The good, the bad and the ugly on a daily basis. I think <laughs> totally, totally. So I think that, you know, again, very grateful. I love my work and I love the fact of, you know, all the goodness about owning a business, the independence and the flexibility and the, and the excitement of the work, you know, and it's, it's, in answer to your question, it's really forced me to look at, you know, bad habits that I have. It's forced me to evaluate discipline. It's forced me to look at, you know, how I, how I manage money and belief systems around money. I think that's been a really uh, good and hard lesson. Um, what else? I think it's forced me to get better and better at sales, which I think is a really important skill set. And so just shifting that that's a that's an interesting one just shift, shifting my entire perspective around what sales and marketing is 
um, that would be that would be another one. And I'm sure there are many others. And so those you talked about the bad habits and uh, the things that you've had to shift and work on. Um, how did you go about that? And so again, I think, you know, one of my pieces of work that I'm developing at the moment is often we make excuses for our limitations or we beat ourselves up about our imperfections. And I think the opportunity to be able to work out how to accept and move forward is, is part of the challenge. What, what advice or what did you do to, to minimize uh, those imperfections or make those imperfections work for you yeah. in a better yeah, way. Absolutely. I think there's an exercise that we'll do with clients that I've done myself that I think is uh, really exceptional. And, and part of the reason I say this is because every time we've had a client do it, they always come back with the oohs and ahs and surprises. And it's not a complicated exercise. Essentially it's, it's a time audit. And so you take, you know, you take an evaluation of how am I spending my time in 15 minute increments over the course of a day and essentially determine, you know, what is, what does that look like? And so you're, you're writing down or spreadsheet or journal or whatever your method is. And at the end of it, you've got themes that will emerge, you know, I'm spending a certain amount of time on social media or on, you know, browsing the internet or on, you know, doing work or prospecting clients or whatever it is. And I, I say that as an important exercise because I think first, before we can decide what the intervention is, no matter what the changes that we're trying to create, we first need to get a, like a clear picture of the lay of the land. Right. And I think, you know, that's in this sense, like evaluating habits or how we're spending our time is a good way to create a baseline before we enter into like problem solving or, you know, tweaking of how we're, how we're going to change going forward. Mm. And I'm imagining, um, do, do you do what are the some of the insights that people have found from doing that exercise? Oh man, e- everything. You know, it's you could say. I think sometimes it's it's industry or job related specific. So you you know, if someone is if someone is a, a leader, for instance, you know, they might find that you know six hours out of the day they're spending reacting to situations or firefighting or you know managing conflict. And I'm, I'm just making up examples. Um, you know. As, as possibilities, although I certainly have heard those those kinds of examples come up. I think, you know, that that would be one. I think um, time on social media is a really common one that comes up. You know, people might say they they think they're spending 45 minutes in an hour, to an hour on social media. And then after auditing, they realize, wow, I'm spending an average of, you know, two and a half to three hours a day or, or whatever it is. And again, I'm making these these numbers up, but the point being, you know, drastic differences between what I think is happening and what's actually happening. Mm, yeah, and I think it is that realization, that reality check, isn't it? Before you can make any change, it's, it's getting that line in the sand, yeah. as you said, the land of what's happening to be able to to get change, yeah. to, to decide what Absolutely. to do. From, um, you, you know, the work that you do, before we get on to some of these themes that you've identified, um, what what are some of the significant changes that you are seeing uh, that are impacting uh, either people individually or um, more particularly from a working perspective? What are what are some of the significant changes that you're seeing that are impacting people's ability to perform at their best? Yeah, so the area that that I and 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 we at, at my at my practice really enjoy playing in is in the area of emotional intelligence or communication. 
And so I'm a little, I'm a little biased, but um, it, it is because we do see uh, a lot of, a lot of impact from focusing on these things. And so, you know, those are, those are kind of general terms, but I think to, you know, to take a dive in like communication, for instance, just understanding that we all don't communicate in the same way. And so altering stylistically how we choose to interact with each other, and then maybe having more communication than we think we need, uh, we can we see really excellent results just from those two interventions. And they sound simple, but I think they do take education and practice and, and testing. And then in regards to you know emotional intelligence, building things like empathy and patience and elicitation of regular feedback and you know, ability to move through conflict without being, you know, without having it disrupt an entire, you know, team or, or organization. I think these are really core skills. The other thing that, that always comes up, and I, I'm curious to hear from you, Janine, if you see this, what I'm about to say happen in your work too, is the implementation of better boundaries, whether that, whether that's like teaching or showing an employee or a team member what does a path to success look like versus what does a path to failure look like being getting really explicit another boundary we see is you know not being clear enough around explicit um, explicit like requests so you know assuming that x task or x objective is well understood when in, when in case it's not another one we see of course is this this boundary between you know, what's my responsibility versus someone else's, you know, work-life balance boundaries. So I think it's just this boundary setting issue really comes up a lot in the work that we do. What, what about for you? Do you see that as a common uh, theme? Yeah, I do, Michael. And actually, it's, it's, it's something that I'm writing about at the moment in, um, in this next book, because what I'm seeing and sensing is that when you ask people how they feel about the future, um, once you get past either their excitement or their fear, most people are actually simply exhausted at the concept of it. You know, it's it's exhausting trying to keep pace with change. It's exhausting trying to uh, keep on top of other people's lives. And that includes not only our teams, our families and our friends. It's exhausting keeping up with work demands. It's exhausting trying to work out how to conform or how to challenge. It's exhausting trying to play that bigger game. And, and ultimately, I think it's just exhausting to be human if we let it. And, and what I'm sensing is that almost everything around us is moving so quickly that um, the risk is we enter into, and I'm, I'm seeing it individually and with teams, we enter into this space of feeling out of control, uh, worrying about what we don't have. And, and all we're doing at the moment is seeking these Band-Aid, uh, Band-Aid solutions to, to help us um, hide any imperfections or to perform better. And um, I do think that that what you're referring to is boundary setting. In in my simple words, it's, it's we've all just got to slow down. It's almost like counterintuitive mm. to the world moving so quickly. I think leadership, leaders and individuals, but it starts at the top, we have to slow down because within that slowing down, we create better space to think, to make better judgments and to actually connect better. And um, and it's all of these important elements that fundamentally, if we give it space, will allow us to ideate, to innovate, to problem solve. Um, and so I think we're in a really interesting time right now where, um, to me, it's it's going to really require the individual to take control 
um, and to get back in co- into control to manage the situation around them and to change that situation around them to create that ripple effect that society needs, that families need, that organisations need. And, and I don't think we are close yet to doing it. So in my work, uh, so many people are exhausted. Organisations are dying from the inside. Uh, burnout's on the increase. Mental health. I had a conversation with a client the other day and she literally said to me, Janine, I even took a phone call on the toilet. Mm. I'm like, what? Wow. Um, so fundamentally, there's there's big things that need to change. And I think we need our, those awesome leaders out there that are driving culture that seem to have worked out how to do this to become more open about the things that they are doing that potentially are anti-conformity, that potentially are anti-establishment, but actually in reality they're what are needed to help cultures thrive and people thrive. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I, yeah. Yeah, I love what you're saying about you know, creating space. And, I, and I'm sure you hear this, this, this question a lot too with the folks you work with, but you know, the, the question I often get is how do, you, how do you reduce stress? What are the strategies, the tactics, the, you know, the things to implement? And you know, the, the unfortunate the, or the more challenging answer that I'll often give is you know, it's less about having a way to react or, or a Band-Aid to react to a situation when we're stressed but more about creating a daily practice, a routine, a, a something that is embedded into our lives so that the, the kind of the stress meter is regulated, right? And, and the, only way to, the only way to create that regulation is through practice over time. And, and I think that's, that's part of kind of what you're saying is we need to create that space so that we can, you know, have more, you know, more high-level conversations with those that we work with. We can focus on our own self-care and and time away, whether that's you know for ourselves or with our family. And so yeah, the, the creation of space I think has so many applications. Mm. This um, you touched on the daily practice or the routines. Can you tell me a little bit more about that, um, so that again those people listening can can get some learning from your experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. We, it's something we talk to clients about regularly. So I, you know, I'm a big believer in, in a kind of multimodal approach. And so, and at the same time, having it be specific to the individual. And so, you know, daily practice for one person may look very different than another, but, you know, some kind of core tenets around them is, you know, an element of nutrition, you know, so waking, waking up and kind of starting the day with, you know, high level nutrition can have a huge impact on all sorts of things from stress management to communication to conflict management and, and others I think some kind of regular movement is, you know, and, and these aren't things that, that people have not heard before um, things like meditation or mindfulness practices, big believer in those. And we see the, we certainly see the evidence from research, but I also see the regular anecdotal evidence from clients that we work with that choose to take on meditation or mindfulness practices. Um, I really believe in, you know, kind of like our conversation earlier around the time audit, but this idea of journaling and tracking. So journaling for the exercise of, you know, just building, building awareness and exploration of, of individual insight is valuable, but also journaling around where am I, where was I, where do I want to go can be very valuable as well. And so, you know, deciding on an objective that you might have, a change you're trying to create, and then small behaviors that might lead to that change, and then tracking them over time to determine how, you know, how am I doing? Is there a translation between what I say I want and the behaviors that I'm exhibiting? And so, you know, journaling would be another example of a 
thing you could incorporate into a daily practice. And um, yeah, so th- so those are some a- examples of various elements that I would you know that I hold hold high. And what about um, people that go, yeah, yeah, I've tried it, I've tried it, and it worked for a while, and then I gave up, and life took over. Right. What's your advice? <laughs> it's because yeah. great intentions, right? No, to- totally. <laughs> I think you know it's funny. We I think when we we examine things like let's say mindfulness or meditation or or exercise. One of the, and I hear the same thing, like, well, I tried it for a couple weeks and it didn't work. And I often think about like a, a very different skill set. So imagine, imagine you are a, like a golfer, right? You've never golfed before. Like golf is a complicated sport. And for those golfers that are listening, I'm sure you're shaking your heads. But if you pick up a golf club and you attempt to go golfing for a week or two without any instruction, without any practice, without any you know criticism and, and, and help along the way, you're, have a, you're probably going to have a horrible time at it. But what you wouldn't do is you wouldn't say, oh, I'm a horrible golfer. I guess that's it. You'd probably just assume that you, if you want to get good at it, you need more practice. And so it's funny to me that we don't also apply that same critical thinking to something like meditation or mindfulness or journaling. And I, and I think really, as far as behavior change, it's the same. It just requires more practice. And, you know, and, and if when we fail or when we, when we just, miss a day or whatever, just a matter of picking up the next day and, and knowing that it's going to, it might take more than a week or two to get familiar, to create a habit, to get good at something. Don't you think? Uh, I totally agree. I think, um, I think it is a practice. This term of things being practiced, being a practice became quite evident when I was, um, I was studying in Harvard early this year and the Ron Heifetz was the, was the, uh, the the lead on the faculty and he was talking quite openly about mm. leadership being oh, a in the same way that and, and everything is and I couldn't agree more um from from your perspective why why is it important that we actually start adopting these practices what are the proven results of the mindfulness the meditation the journaling etc yeah, yeah well I think I think to your point you know because things are so rapidly changing and 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 all the research points us to say that's going to get worse not better you know change change as far as culture and technology it's exponential and so as we continue to move and evolve and innovate things will most likely move faster and so to me that says if we can't handle things at the speed they're at now we're in trouble because in 10 years it might be a very different story. And so I, I think that's part of it is just if we can create routine now, it, it sets us up for greater adaptability in the future. And as far as, you know, what the research says, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of physical benefits as far as, um, and, I'm, and I'm hesitant to, to give any quotes because I'm not a doctor or a researcher, but if people are interested, they can look them up. There's definitely physical benefits from meditation, mindfulness, the ability to manage Conflict, certainly the ability to um, improve patience. I think the ability to be creative and innovative is a result of having a daily practice. Um, And I think there's research to support that as well. Now, you talked about um, at the beginning of our conversation around seven themes that you've identified uh, around creating or driving sustainable change. Can you share share those with us? Yeah, so I, I I came up with these because you know over the course of my career, again as a as a coach, as a therapist, and as a consultant, working with 
really very different kinds of change. So things, you know, everything from the severe and persistent mental health issues to, you know, improving team communication or improving leadership or accountability or emotional intelligence. You know, I asked myself a few years ago, what are these common things that always come up? And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to, you know, provide a, a system for people to remember? And so I had that before I tell you what they are, I, I want to share. I had this spreadsheet and I thought I'd had a few of them down, like three or four. And then I, I landed on the seven. And then I thought, well, I wonder if there's an acronym for these seven that show up so regularly. And so I had all these synonyms for the various words. And eventually, many words later, uh, realized that there was an acronym and the acronym is CHANGES, funny enough. And so CHANGES is an acronym for Cognition, Heart, Action, Nourishment, Guts, Environment, and Spirit. And, you know, these, these, aren't, these aren't, and this isn't new information necessarily. And I can dive into any or all of them. And they probably, people will probably nod their head and say, yeah, you know, that makes sense. And I've heard of that. And, you know, would agree that these things influence behavior. But what I think is important to remember is a couple things. One, where we should put our focus in any time in our life may change, right? So it, it hopefully it allows people to have a system that they can say, okay, I feel like my habits and routines are pretty well and the people and places and things I surround myself with is also very optimized, but something's in my way and I can't quite figure it out. So let me have a system to examine you know, almost a rock to, to look under, right? And I think through that process, they'll, people will find that in any given time, one or two of these dimensions probably need some attention. And so I think that, that that's, another, that's another piece that I emphasize is this critical evaluation of the different aspects of our lived experience and how they impact each other. Yeah, that's cool. And how do they impact? Like what examples have you got of where if we don't get beautifully aligned in this space and get things working? I loved your, when we were offline, you were talking about the interconnectivity um, of all of the parts of our lived yeah. experience being so critical. Can you explain a little bit more yeah, about absolutely. that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, the, you know, the easiest one I think for people to understand is this connection. So nourishment, as I define it, is kind of like what we were just talking about, you know, how, how, um, I exist physically in the world. So how my, how my body moves or doesn't move, what kind of nutrition am I getting and what kind of rest am I getting? So that's the, that's the nourishment piece. And so not to anyone's surprise, if we neglect our nourishment, it shows up in how we think our ability to focus the cognition dimension. It shows up in our ability to emotionally regulate, right? Manage stress, manage reactivity, manage conflict. That would be the heart aspect. And of course, it, it, impacts, it impacts all sorts of, of aspects of our, of our day-to-day. And so I think that's the easiest one to understand. If our nourishment is poor, it has this ripple effect across, you know, across dimensions. I think you know, one, of the, one of the ones that I'm especially interested in is spirit. And the way that I define that is by belief system. And that could be religious or non-religious. So just the idea that what we choose to believe in has an impact on, on results, essentially. So, for instance, you know, if we, if we believe that money is the root of evil, evil and, you know, rich, rich people are doing, you know, running havoc throughout the world, that may impact our, you know, habits and routines and then who we surround ourselves with. And, of course, maybe our ability to, to become wealthy as well, right? Um, our, our belief systems, of course, are impacted by, you know, our, our 
religious and, and spiritual beliefs as well. But um, the, the research around belief and how that shows up in our day to day is is fascinating. I'll, and I'll share one one quick example. Um, one piece of research I talk about this in my book looks at um, someone's someone's kind of general demeanor around openness to new experience. So believing that openness to new experiences is valuable versus the characteristic of someone that is closed off and rigid minded and, you know, believes that that isn't valuable. The one that has this openness to experience characteristic actually sees things differently, meaning that this belief system impacts their biological visual system. And so I think that that kind of research really is is fascinating to me. This this interconnectivity between thought and reality isn't that interesting? Mm, it is. It is. Have you seen that playing out? Have you got a specific example that maybe even for your own experience? Yeah, I, 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 that's a great question. I like that. I think that. I mean, I don't have you know hard data. I haven't not researched this, but you know, and anecdotally, I. I see as I continue to change my belief in what is possible within my personal life, within my business, you know, results, results come in. And I, and I guess that's a, maybe that's more of an, an esoteric way to, to think about things, but uh, you know, I see the, I see the writing on the wall, so it's hard to, it's hard to ignore, but, but absolutely. That's great. Who's, um, who's been the biggest influence in your life? My oh, gosh, it's, it's hard to say. Um, one, one individual, when you, when you ask that question, Janine, do you, are you meaning about business or about a different aspect of, of our life? Which, which, uh, which area? Well, it can be either. So I would say to put the question back, if you think about the people that have influenced your life, who would you say that has had the biggest influence either personally or professionally or who you are as a person and, and why. Yeah. I guess, I guess as far as, you know, who, who I am as a person, you know, I think a lot of our, a lot of our, of course, a lot of our beliefs and a lot of our values and, and things are, are implemented early and influenced by our immediate surroundings in the first few years. And of course our parents. And so I, you know, I have a close relationship with, with uh, both my parents and uh, very grateful for that. And I, and I think they've been a really, really positive influence in a, in a lot of ways, professionally and personally. I think one, one thing that comes to mind uh, is just this, this uh, encouragement of pursuing natural curiosity, which I think, you know, has served me well in, in both professionally and personally. I think that was something I definitely got, got from them and, st- and still do. We're, uh, we're, we're close as, uh, you know, today as well. And so, yeah, I'd say they've, they've been a great influence. And what do you see yourself as doing what's the impact you want to make uh, with the work that you're doing well you know I really as as we've talked and you know I'm sure as people can can hear I'm really passionate about this idea of looking at these various dimensions of our lived experience and using that as a way to not only create the kind of change that we want to create in our life but also adapt to challenging circumstance right and so I you know I that's that's essentially what what I'd like to be known for, what I, the legacy that I, you know, that I'm thinking about right now is, you know, someone that has given, you know, a, a tools for people to, to look at, to really help them, you know, connect and integrate the various parts of their, of their lived experience. And so, and, you know, and I'll say that, 
that is that is not an easy process in in my experience you know it does require require some courage re- require some critical analysis and um yeah, I mean, I'm of course thankful for all the all the clients that I've worked with over the years that have, you know, have have come to come to the table with with that kind of courage to to truly evaluate and you know and have seen the great results from it. So you you talk a lot about this this need to connect and the interconnectivity of of those various assets of uh, you reference them as let me quickly go back to my notes emotional intellectual and spiritual. Um, we're living in a world that's more connected than ever before. Um, social media is helping that. Um, do you do you think that's helping our connectivity, or do you think actually quite the opposite? Yeah, I, I think it's a bitter a bittersweet you know piece. I you know I think that it's nice. It's it's great to be able to. I mean, you and I are right now, right? We're on totally different ends of the world, and yet it sounds like we're talking to each other next door, which is amazing. You know, that's a that's a wonderful benefit of, of technology. Um, and social media is the same way. You know, it allows us to connect with people that maybe we haven't in a long time. And I think that social media and regular media challenges our ability to think critically. And I think you know this is kind of the the heart of my position around looking at these various pieces of our lived experience. Is that oftentimes when things aren't going the way we want them to go. I think it really requires more critical analysis of, you know, what, what is really happening in my life. And, and again, I think that takes, that takes courage and, um, and, and really addressing fear along the way. But um, yeah, I, I do believe that media and social media can, can add uh, disadvantageously to this ability for us to think critically because we're getting so many messages, right? So many messages all the time and um, encouraged to take them at face value. And I think that that, that causes challenges for us. And, and how does that relate or link into some of the organizations or leadership work that you're doing? What do, what do you think leaders need to uh, adopt, get better at, change, evolve to, to operate more effectively um, over the next few yeah, years. I think the same the same skill set of you know critical evaluation applies there too, and th- and that could mean critically evaluating our our values operationalizing within our culture, right? So I'm and I'm sure you see this challenge too. This idea that we may have a mission and a values that are up on the wall, but are they really being played out in behaviors? And to take it a step further, can if you picked out an employee from your general population, could they tell you how the behavior is being operationalized? And I think if that answer is no, then there's room to be more critical of, you know, how how are these things actually showing up? And I think that, you know, in the same way, you could apply that critical analysis to communication. You could apply it to, you know, feedback. I think that that is a, you know, seriously underutilized resource. Getting, getting and receiving feedback on a regular basis, cross-departmentally, you know, within teams, you know, up, up and down the ladder of a, of a hierarchy. And so, yeah, I think this, this critical analysis piece shows up everywhere. Yeah, cool. Um, so for you, um, you know, you're, you've studied martial arts for a long time. How does that, how does that link into, into your work and how you've got better uh, as an individual at either setting your boundaries or saying no or pursuing dreams? You know, how's that, how's that influence your work? Yeah, I think, you know, early, earlier on in my study of martial arts, um, 
to, to go back a, a little a little before that, I guess, you know, growing up, I I did not have a really good handle on managing conflict very well. And I think that earlier in my martial arts career, that was one of the lessons that I took from it, that conflict is okay and it can be good and there and that I can bring confidence to conflict. So I think that's absolutely a lesson that, that I took early on. And more so in the last few years, what I what I have been kind of uh, noodling on or thinking on regularly is this idea of how do our bodies show up in our work and what can we learn from, from body awareness, for instance. And so I'll give you an example. I did a workshop for a corporation not terribly long ago and was a room full of leaders and we did some various uh, meditations, Qigong, which are you familiar with Qigong? For for those that aren't, it's either a postured or a slow moving meditation. The idea is that you can, through this exercise, understand where is the stress and tension in the body. And there's more to it than that, but that's part of it. And so through this process of individual exercise and then paired exercise, people got to see, you know, how they show up, how they move in their body. Are they, are they more aggressive? Are they more submissive? Are they rigid? Are they too soft? And then making that connection between how they are in their body and how they are in in their work life, meaning that what I what I see regularly, I've done these kinds of trainings a handful of times, is that if someone is rigid in their body, oftentimes that shows up in how they engage with their team, or if they are you know overly aggressive in their body, oftentimes that shows up in how they lead, or if they're regular, if their if their body is more soft and, and has less groundedness in it. It might be that they regularly get steamrolled by their leaders or their team members. And so this might sound obvious to, to folks, but what I what I think is so fascinating is that if we can learn to, you know, really understand what's going on in our body in a higher in a, at a higher level, it can be a great reminder to us. Because I again to circle back to this idea of, you know, it, advice and strategy, it's it's great, but I think oftentimes we need a, a better reminder of what's going on with us. And I think there's a lot of wisdom held in our bodies to give us those reminders. And do you think that's how, you know, this, this webinar, this podcast is all about unleashing brilliance. Would you say that that's one of the most critical things that we have to all learn to explore and get curious about to, to become our, our own version of brilliance? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think I, I would say, I would say, yes, there is, you know, tons of wisdom to be had if we take the time to explore um, what kind what what kind of lessons can come from body awareness. And I would also say that that is one dimension of our lived experience. And, you know, I would, again, invite people to really look at what are these various lenses that I can apply, that I can look through, you know, is via, you know, whether it's whether it's my, you know, my my emotional self, my cognitive self, my spiritual self. And, and, and really kind of, again, unearth and evaluate and, and you know, pick up the rock and, and, and look at those, those parts that may be, may be difficult to evaluate. But that's, that's where the real gifts are, in my opinion. And so uh, are you, do you share that, some of that stuff in the book, the, the, the new book that you've got out there, Changes, The Busy Professional's Guide to Reducing Stress? accomplishing goals and mastering adaptability is some of this stuff in there absolutely and um to take to take it a step further there's also you know a lot of activities within the book and so you know again that 
that, you know, we sustainable change comes from practiced behavior, like we talked about, not just insight. And so, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that, of course. And, and so because of that, there are a lot of exercise within each of these seven dimensions in the book. Oh, that sounds fascinating. Please make sure. And how do people get copies of that? I'm assuming on Amazon. Yeah, yeah any, and that really, really that every, everywhere Amazon? books are sold. It's yeah, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, Target, Walmart. You can find find it online really anywhere. Yeah. Fabulous, <laughs> fabulous. Well, hopefully, hopefully quite a few of our listeners will, will go out and grab a copy. Now, going back to um, those influential people in your life, your your parents, if we could grab them on the podcast now, what would you say to them? <laughs> what would I say to them? I would tell them thank you. <laughs> what would I say to them? Um, I don't know. It, might, it, it would certainly be interesting to hear uh, what they think. <laughs> it would, be, it would be, be interesting to ask how they think they've influenced me. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say thank you to Oh, me? just, they, you know, they've been, they have been and, and, you know, were and continue to be, you know, so supportive and, and fun. I mean, you know, as, as an adult, we have, we have, we have a lot of fun together, you know, we'll go, we go on trips and, you know, I try and, and try and connect with them, you know, at least a few times a year, we're in different parts of the country. And so we don't see each other as, as much as, as much as we'd like, but, uh, but yeah, they're, they're, they're wonderful people in very different ways, but yeah, they're great. That's so good. And what do you um, sort of just to, to start wrapping up? What's that? What's a mantra that you live by? So you've obviously done so much work understanding uh, the impact that the body has on performance. You you practice what you preach. Um, what what is is the mantra of Michael that that you try and, and live by? The one that day? that I have been thinking about a lot in the last few years. And I'm sure it's not new to a lot of listeners, but this this mantra of you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. That's the one I've been thinking about on the, just in the last few years or, or really kind of honing into it certainly isn't isn't new. But um, one of the one of the things that intrigues me about that as a mantra is not just, you know, the people that we're around, but really everything, how we spend our time, you know, the communities that we live in, the friendships we have, the partnerships we have, the schools we attend, you know, the work, the workplace environments, all of these things really impact us. And there's, you know, there's certainly data to support that. So I think, you know, being really cognitive, cognitive of that and, you know, back to the boundary setting, you know, putting some boundaries around particular relationships or how I'm spending my time because I see uh, this environmental piece being so influential. Mm, that's so good. Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to chat with you. Um, so many uh, insights into um, how we can all operate and be more uh, successful, brilliant, uh, happy, perform better in our day-to-day worlds. I love your whole thinking around this interconnectivity of the parts of our lived experience. And you talked about the emotional, the intellectual and the spiritual uh, perspectives around how we need to discover and uncover um, the opportunity ones of, of, of understanding each of those elements, which is great. Your question that you put to our audience around, you know, if we can't handle the speed now, how on earth are we going to handle the future? 
Um, I think it's something that we all need to think about. And with that, uh, the need for us to start taking ownership of, as you've you've mentioned a few times, the boundaries that we're putting in place um, to to look after ourselves and and help us gift whatever it is that we're we're gifting to our work. And then thank you for for sharing those seven themes that are coming through. Uh, your work in terms of how to create sustainable change. Um, my final question, uh, you know, we often get asked, what's next? What about the next five years, 10 years? What do you want to do next? My, my bigger question is around who, who does Michael want to be remembered for? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. You know, it's funny. I think hopefully I'll be, <laughs> I'll be around for a number of years. And um, this, this question of legacy uh, is not is not one I've spent a, a ton of time on again because I'm hoping that uh, that I will be around for for many years to come and I'm I'm also confident if if assuming that's the case what I how I answer that question now may be very different from how I answer it you know in, in twenty or thirty years um, but you know if I had if I had to answer it now I would say that I'd like to be remembered uh, for someone that you know, actively gave to the world um, ideas, skills, strategies um, around, you know, how to help us create positive change, you know, in our life and to, to be remembered as someone that was, you know, passionate about, you know, giving, giving good back to the world and, and giving, uh, giving, giving support and resource. And um, yeah, so that, that's how I would answer it now. And, and again, how I answer that in, 20 years will likely be very different. Oh, Michael, it's been such a pleasure talking to you on the podcast today. I am incredibly grateful that uh, Joe Muirhead connected us. And um, I hope one day we get to get to meet in person. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, and for I hope sharing so too, so Janine. Much. Thank you so much. And, and uh, yeah, look forward to connecting again in the future. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.